All right, we're good now? We good? Okay. All right, okay, all right. So we're sitting there, and you're sitting there, and you're a team, and you're in uniform. But uniformity doesn't mean that people are harmonizing together. They're not in harmony. Because when a person is on the team, and they're in uniform, each person has a place, a position, a role where they're playing. So if the third baseman has the hot spot, and they're ready to play and grab anything between the, their, their position and the shortstop, they can't run in front of the shortstop and pr- try to play shortstop. The shortstop, sure enough, can't play second base. There's too much field to cover. And the second base, so when they're doing double plays, they have to be in unity, in unison, to be able to, to throw that ball to first base for the second. They have to have that connection. And the first baseman's all alone over there. Same thing with the outfielders. If the outfielders are not playing their place, if left fielder is trying to play center field, they're going to come together and, not, and each one's not going to know which one to call the ball. So they have to work together and talk to each other and communicate. But each player that's playing, they've got to play their own role. And when they're playing their own role, there's unity that occurs. Coaches, at the beginning of the year, when they have spring training for one month, there are instruction, instructional, instructional people and coaches. And what they come in is they help each player to contain and help their position to maintain and, and be able to work and play. So they're working through all the different drills. So then when the coach is there, they're guiding them through all of the different things they're going through. But wearing the uniform and having another plane wearing a uniform doesn't bring harmony unless we play our own roles. And see, that's similar to the church. See, the church, it's vital. It's very important that we're understanding that as the church, we have to understand that our part, each one of us, are called, we have a gift God's called us. Paul, he always spoke about unity and how we should be equipped. And it's important to understand that because if we don't, then we're not grasping the understanding of what Paul was talking about in the book of Ephesians. I want you to do me a favor and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. It's so important for us to understand this. Because unity comes in all different shapes and sizes, but in different, in different ways. For instance, when you go and you travel you know, around, or if you're in the area, one of the things that intrigued us as a family coming down here when we came for the first time, and we were traveling down here in August going on vacation into Virginia, and we noticed all the Chick-fil-A's around. And we just love Chick-fil-A as a family. My kids, that's all they want to eat if we go out to eat. And so, you know, one of the things I'm amazed by is that when you go to Chick-fil-A and you have these corporations or these, you know, these freestanding locations, you have a corporation that supports each one of them. So when you're traveling and you're in a different state, you know what you're going to get. You know the menu, you know your meal, you know the number, you know how much it's going to cost. And so what, why that brings forth unity with each of these particular individual freestanding uh, restaurants is that they have corporation that heads that up. But one of the things that the corporation does, because they wear a uniform, what brings them in harmony and unity is that simple phrase of, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. And so when you go there and, you, and they go, my pleasure, I'm like, wow, I, I know they have to say that, 
but it just makes me feel at home when they say that. I mean, maybe their intention is that I got to do this for the job, my pleasure. Like, can you imagine saying my pleasure? But they're like saying it with a smile and excited. It brings unity. Because now each one that you go to, you know you're going to be treated well with great service, great food, and reasonable prices. And so with me, it's okay. Because I notice that we come in Maryland, and I have to stop to a Chick-fil-A. I got to wait 20, 25 minutes to get through the line. But you know what? I'm willing to do that. Because it's their pleasure. And my pleasure to receive the food and to be fed well. Because when I'm traveling, I can then just pick at it as I'm driving. You know, just going like this. And so I'm able to eat. But the unity of this corporation, just like any other, you know what you're going to get. How about the church? How about Paul? What was he trying to do? Well, in in the book of Ephesians, we have to sit on the background. And so here's the background of the book of Ephesians. Just real quick, just some highlights. Paul wrote this letter from a prison in Rome, 60 to 62 AD. The church was planted by Priscilla and Aquila during the second missionary journey. Located at the east side of the Aegean Sea, this city was well known for the Temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. An incredible city with political influence, educational influence, commercial center, arts and religion, ranking closely with Alexandria and Egypt and the Antioch of Poseidia. Paul established a church there remaining for three years following appointing his protege, Timothy, to pastor for 18 months, specifically dealing with elders who were false teachers. They were struggling. Even if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, when he was writing to Timothy, he was highlighting some of the problems there in the church. And even in 2 Timothy, he highlighted two individuals that were misleading the people of God. So Paul, he decided, he said, there's a need for establishing leadership of elders and deacons of the building of the church, edification, which we would know in the Greek word oikodome. Oikos is the house of God, oikos, house. Oikodome is the household, which we would get management or stewardship. And so you see this, and he shares that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 11, when you see the qualifications of elders and deacons. And by training and disciplining Timothy, Timothy was able to do the same, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. So when he was equipped by Paul and led and directed, he then did the same as a pastor, but as a believer in Christ. So we see that as a key verse for discipleship. Even in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, it says this. Paul writes, he goes, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how we ought to behave in the household of God, the oikodome, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up to glory. So Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus to remain, to remain focused on unity, stewardship, and the growing of the body of Christ. In fact, he says this, I am writing to you these things. There's a Greek word, it's, it's the day, D-E-I. It's, a, it's called the divine day. Because that, that particular verb that was there, it's, it's translated, it is necessary or must. You'll see that in Acts 4.12 when it says that only one Only one comes to Christ. Only one must go through salvation is Jesus. 
So Jesus is the only one that we could come to faith in Christ and faith in salvation. So we see that. So it's important for us to understand. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, as we're grasping some of the truths in there, we have to look at the passage, not only verses 7 through 16, but we even have to look a little bit before that in verses 1 through 6. So let me just start off, if you have your worship guides with you and you have your outline there, the first um, statement there is the essential elements for the edification, the building up of the church is unity and stewardship. So let's look at verse 7 and see how it brings us back to verses 1 and 6. So 7 says, but grace was given. The word but is a, is a contrast looting back to what was stated prior. So verse 1 in chapter 4, it says this, Paul says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So um, what we want to understand here is that he's saying I'm, I'm to, urge, to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, the unity exists first with the harmonious unity of the Trinity, then, then transfers then to the body of Christ. So when we have this relationship with God, we have the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then our unity derives from that to one another. So when we love God, then we'll love each other well. And when the unity exists, we cannot love each other well if we don't spend time with each other. And we sure enough can't love each other well if we're not spending time with God. And we sure enough can't love each other well if we're not communing with God, being one with God, if we expect to be one with each other. So Paul is trying to highlight the importance of unity, but also indicating the importance of equipping. It is today, I am not, into, I'm not, it's not my purpose nor my intention to preach on the how-tos of equipping. But I want to look at this theoretically and how important equipping is to unity. So the first point there is then we have to look at God has given us grace. Verse 7, verse 7 of Ephesians 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let's start with grace. See, God's given us grace, unmerited favor. It wasn't anything you and I did. We never will do that. In justification, when God's drawn us in, we then take the next phase, which is sanctification. And in sanctification, it's only by the grace of God. We yield and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us, and we walk with God, and we enjoy God in fellowship and intimacy. Then God is moving in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then it's the grace of God that we need. We can't do anything on our own. If we try to empower ourselves and think positively, it doesn't work. But when we're working by the Spirit of God and yielding to the Spirit of God, God is doing a work because we're submitting to his power and then he leads us. That's why the Holy Spirit resides in us until the day of redemption. See, if the Holy Spirit only resided us at the point of justification, then it would be our own power, but we couldn't do it in our own power because we didn't even do it at the beginning, so why would we do it in the middle or even towards the end? Grace is justification, sanctification, and glorification because you and I, we don't deserve to be in the presence of God. 
And we sure enough don't because God can shut the doors of heaven and still be just in the justifier. I will remind you and I of that often because we have to be in a position of grace. So that means no one is favored. No one was able to do this. God didn't give you a talent so that you can highlight yourself or I can highlight myself. With great humility, we come before God to say, God, change us and help us. So it's important to understand this. This is unique because here where it says was given is is an aorist passive, which simply means this. It's a divine passive. God gave it. We didn't earn it. It's not something we've done. And when it says, but to each one of us, he changed verses one through six from you to now us. So this means this. Now you and I are all responsible for the gift and the grace that he gives us. It's not just given to the leaders. The grace wasn't given to pastors only. The grace wasn't given to the leaders in the church or the elders. The grace wasn't given to special people who have special talents. Each one of us who are in Christ called, like in verse 1, have been given a gift. So this grace that God has, we have to have a stewardship, a management. I want you to just uh, look with me, if you can, to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, just a chapter before. It says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of, your, of you Gentiles, assuming that, verse 2, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So what Paul notices that I've been given this grace. What am I doing about it? Am I just going to sit on this grace, say, thank you, Lord, for the insurance card to get to heaven, and I'll go live for myself? God never intended for that. Why? Because he loves you too much. He desires relationship. When you're hurting, when you're down and out, when you're feeling down on yourself, when you're feeling like you're inadequate and you have nothing to hold on to, God's saying, I'm your greatest fan. God's saying, he's applauding for you. And you sit there and go, but Lord, look at me. He goes, you're my greatest. I'm your greatest fan. I'm sticking for you. I'm right here next to you. I love you and I want to use you. And when you sit and you're saying, but Lord, look at me. How could you use me? God's saying, all I've done, I've given you everything you need. I've given you grace, and I've given you a gift. It's been given by me. All you have to do is submit. And God is doing that work. Look, and that's what Paul, Paul was so passionate because he knew he had a stewardship. He had a management. When you're giving a project, college student, teenager, person who's working at your job, when you're given a project, you're giving stewardship a responsibility, management. You're called to do something. If you're getting paid, I can assure you, you're working hard. Student, if you're over there in college, you you know you have to do it because if you don't do well, parents are going to have the lecture to you. They're going to sit you down and say, what are you doing with my money? Are you being a good steward of what we paid for? I can't say that, but I know God provides. But there are parents that could say that. And a child who doesn't know what to do in that situation. And so it's important for us to understand. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul goes on to say this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. We're called ministers in that we're called to serve. And it says, which was given to me by the working of his power. Meaning we were empowered by the grace and empowered with a gift. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. Look at his attitude. And this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what he's doing. He's trying to bring Jew and Gentiles one new man. 
And the Gentiles were unclean, separated from the Jew. And Paul is saying, the unsearchable reaches of Christ, I want to offer to you who have been deemed unclean. I want to let you know that even Cornelius saw that God made a possible way for Gentiles to come to faith in Christ. He goes, I now call you clean through the gospel, through the working of the Spirit of God, through the power, and through Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ. And he goes on to say this, he goes, verse 9, and to bring to light everyone who is in, in the plan of, of the mystery of the hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might not be made known to the rulers, to all, now may be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So in the heavenly places is mentioned about four times in this book. Chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 6 especially talking about spiritual warfare. Do you know you and I, when we're in Christ, given this grace, that when we pray we're in the eternal sanctuary of God, when the Spirit of God is moving on us, we enter into that courtroom, and what we do is we sit, and Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We enter into that sanctuary, and we pray. And we pray to the Almighty God, Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, Kyrios, Lord, Jesus, who is Yeshua, our salvation, our Savior. And we get into his presence knowing that we have the unsearchable riches of God. This is the grace of God. This is what God has intended for us. Even Paul said it in Corinthians, if you could see it up here. Last of all, as to the one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, but because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's the beauty of the grace of God. We're empowered. Now, secondly, God has given us gifts, as we see in the same passage. As we know, we know Christ has given us, each believer, a gift, a responsibility. And here in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 7, Romans, it says this, For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So the measure of faith of Christ and God assigns, God gives you a gift, and when he gives you a gift, he only gives you enough to be able to do that. If you were to have more, you and I would be boastful about it and think it comes from us. But God gives us just enough power and enough gift to get through the situation and to glorify him, to build up the church, and to forward and advance and expand the kingdom of God. So he says, verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though, are a one body in Christ, individual members one of another. Meaning this, you and I have different gifts. If you have a gift that I don't have, that's great. We need your gift to build up the body of Christ. You don't, I don't want to have your gift. If I try to be envious about having your gift, I'm going to fumble it all up. And if you try to do the gift that I have or the gift that I'm, you're going to fumble that all up. Each one of us have diverse gifts for a purpose. It's not simply in our ethnicity, but also in the fact that God's given those to us and we have to use them for good stewardship to advance the kingdom of God and to build the efficacy or the church. And so it's important for us to understand that you don't want another Bruno in this church. Ask my wife. You really don't. 
And you know that when you look at yourself, you have to ask that question too. Do I want someone just like me? No, because God created you with a DNA specifically unique. You're unique in your way. God has called you for that. He's gifted you for that. But the question is, why is at times we don't use it? I think there are a few things. One is the fear to fail. We're afraid that if God reveals to us this gift, we have to do it in our own power. But we're forgetting that God gave it to us, and it's his power through us. We're afraid of messing up. We're afraid we're going to let the church down. We're afraid we're going to let God down, and we don't want to face that, so we don't want to face that fear to fail. Possibly it's because of inadequacy. I'm just not good enough. And you maybe have been told that all your life. In fact, some of you might be older, older like me, where you've been told that all your life. You're never good enough. When every time you do something, you feel like there's always a critique. I received that in my own life. I have to guard myself with my own children. Because of the fact that sometimes we don't even realize we're doing that as parents because it's been done to us. And when teenagers and young adults are growing up, they hear that voice, I'm just not good enough. And God's saying, yes, you are. I gave you a gift. I gave you a gift. I'm right here with you. I'm applauding you. You can do it through me. It's when God begins. Or sometimes you know you have a gift and you just don't care. You're just apathetic about it. You're robbing a blessing from God and you're robbing a blessing from me. You're robbing a blessing from any brother or sister in Christ then we miss out. Or maybe it's just a comparison. You just compare yourself to someone else, and you're saying, man, I wish I had that gift. I know if I could sing, or I know if I could preach, or if I know I could just be kind and considerate, and you're comparing yourself. God's saying, I didn't create you to be that person. I didn't create you to do this. I didn't create you to do that. I created you to do this. Do you know your gift? See, that's where disunity happens. We start comparing ourselves because then when we compare ourselves, we start to gossip and slander others unintentionally. We don't even realize we're doing it. And then we just, we're, when we don't do that. And so it's important for us to recognize that. So how does God, how do we see the church growing in unity? We have to use our gifts. We have to use our gifts. So I want you guys to do something. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. Neighbor, say neighbor, I am thankful I'm not you. And neighbor, come on, help me out. Neighbor, I'm thankful you're not me. But I'm thankful for you. See, that's, that's what it's talking about here. That's what it's talking about here. You and I have to grasp that. We have to stop trying to compare ourselves to other people. Stop allowing fear to consume us and paralyze us. God wants to use you. You have a gift. You are here to build the church up. It's not just the pastor and the leaders. It's not just the staff and the elders. It is all of us. That's why I go back to that verse that says each one of us. You and I have a stewardship. We're called to unity. Don't just wear the uniform. Get involved in the game. Learn your role. And when you have your role and you know your position, harmony begins to happen in the church. 
but unity will not happen otherwise. That's why he goes on to say this in verse 9. It takes some time to remind us of that because here in verse 11 he says, and he gave. Now we got to stop there because there he goes. That's an aorist active because now it's that he is Jesus refers back to 8 through 10. Jesus descended on earth, died on the cross for sin, rose from the dead, ascended back to the Father, sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's what Paul was saying in those verses. It was the gospel. So because he did it, the Father handed over judgment to him. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Now he gives the gifts. And these are gifts. These are not just positions. They're gifts. Many would be I'm confused with saying that Paul was talking about an office. And so the office of apostleship or prophets, I don't believe exists today. But there might be some who have a gift. Now, what is an apostle? A delegate, an envoy, a messenger, one who is sent. Actually, apostle in the Greek means sent one. And back in the first century, they had the authority to do so. Today, we have elders and pastors in a church that are a part of that leadership to, you know, set up in the structure of the oikodome. A prophet. A prophet is one who would, a person inspired to proclaim or to reveal divine will or purpose. But today we have proclaimers. We have them, you know, in the Old Testament, they had a message for, directly from the Lord given. Today we have the special written word of God, the commands of God right here. And if God speaks, he speaks through the word of God or it's according to the word of God derived from the word of God. So that's key. Because there's plenty of commandments and plenty of truth here that we don't need any more than what we have. In fact, the Bible says that you'll be accursed if you go beyond that. Paul mentions that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. An evangelist, a proclaimer of the gospel, primarily focused on leading people to Christ. Guess what? We're all evangelists. We're all called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, wherever we go. Why? Because you have a gift. you got the grace of God. This is key. So what does this say? This is saying that the third point is God has given us leaders to guide us. Leaders to guide us. A pastor is one who serves as a shepherd leader. 18 times mentioned in the New Testament of this particular word of pastor, once by Paul here in Ephesians. Teacher and instructor of the word of God. You have the gifting of that. Now, most would say, oh, Pastors are teachers, but teachers are not pastors. I think we're all shepherds. We're all called to disciple. We're all called to come alongside of. It's called parakaleo. Come alongside of and disciple someone. I said this before. How long have you known Jesus? How many people have you discipled? Because if you haven't, let's get started. I want to create a culture here of discipleship. I want to believe that God, that is the purpose of the local church. And if you have a relationship with God, it's your stewardship, it's your responsibility of the oikodome to get alongside someone and guide them. It's not the job of simply of the pastors. It's not my job or Pastor Dennis's job to pastor everyone. It's not the leader's job, the elder's job to pastor everyone. It's not the staff's job to pastor everyone. We need everybody involved leading and shepherding. We're all called to that. Each one of us. And so it's important for us. But God's given us gifted men or, to lead us, gifted staff people to lead us. And it's important that we do that. Now, the word to equip, it's, it's vital. It's vital. But before we go there, I want to share something about leadership and the importance of leadership. Sometimes churches don't like leaders. And they don't like the way that leaders lead the church because it doesn't meet their preferences. 
So they begin to gossip and complain and slander and even leads to malice. Maybe unintentional, but it leads that way. And then uh, that brings disunity to the church. It doesn't equip the church. It doesn't build up the church. You're not protecting God. You're not protecting his word. God can do that well on his own. You and I can't do that as good as he can or as well as he can. So now we have another flip side, leaders, pastors, staff. We have to be careful we're not doing the same as well. We can get into our little huddles and start complaining about who's complaining. We start to question, why is this person complaining about what we're doing? It gets personal. We are at times feeling offended, and so we can get into this gossip run. And so one of the things we want to do as a leadership, as pastors and elders and staff, we don't want to get into that. We want to help people and pray for them. See, when Paul said that these leaders are to equip, the word equip means to restore, to mend. It's a corresponding verb from Matthew 4.21 talking about mending nets. When the fishermen came together and they had to have their equipment to, to, to fish and to provide for their families because it was a living, they would mend their nets. When they broke, they didn't go out next to, they didn't go to Walmart and buy another new fish net or anything like that. What they did was they had to mend them, these little, little squares. They had to sew them up and mend them to make them strong so they can drop the nets and get more fish. You and I, what we're doing is that when, when we're leading and we're directing, even the leaders in the church, we're here to restore and mend broken relationships, broken hearts, broken marriages. People are hurting. People are falling away. And our job is to equip the saints, as it says there in verse 12. We're there to equip the saints to show you and lead you. We got to lead by example. One of the things I say as a leader, I won't ask anybody to do anything I'm not doing. I will not ask anybody to pray if I'm not praying. I'm not going to ask anyone to read the word of God if I'm not reading the word of God. And I'm sure enough I'm not going to ask anybody to disciple if I'm not discipling. It's not a commandership here. I just do, I tell people what to do. Do what I say, don't do what I do. And so it's important as leaders, we follow by example and lead by example. And so our job is to equip in that sense that we are leading by showing that by example. Equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. The word ministry is deacons, service. So each one of us should be focusing on ministering to others. Now, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the glory of God, but it's my job, and I should hope it'll be your job, each one of us, to use the gift, to have the grace that we have, and to be able to lead others and to help mend and restore lives. I can't reach people that you can. You're going to reach people at your workplaces and in your neighborhoods. I can't talk to them. Years ago, they used to say, well, let's get the pastor to do that. Let's get the pastor to do that. That's why they say pastors, 90% of them are burnt out because everyone's looking to the pastor and the leaders in the church to do all the work, even the staff. So it's important for us to get that stewardship, that responsibility of doing our part. And so what's that end? To build up the church. Oikodomei. So when we're building up the church, these are the three things that are mentioned there. Paul is trying to highlight that, the importance of unity. And so also there's a goal in mind as well. God has given us a goal to grow in the unity of faith. Now, when you're looking at verse 13, you're just looking there, and you're seeing it right there in chapter 4 of Ephesians. It says, until we attain. Let me stop there, because that word attain is a key word. It means this in the Greek, to reach a condition or goal, arrive at something so that one comes to possess it. So the goal for the leaders to equip the saints 
for the work of the ministry to build up the church, he's showing that they need to reach a goal. And the goal is this, the unity of the faith. See, that word faith there is not how we act on our faith, but there's an article in the Greek there that shows about the content of faith, the doctrine. So this is what it's doing. We all are unified together in the content of the faith, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So when you see the gospel, we're all in unity about that. We're not just wearing the uniform. We're acting on it or agreeing with it and unified in it and saying, okay, I agree to the person and work of Christ for for salvation. So that unity of the faith is what we reach to. And a goal is to come in unity with that. But there's another thing there that Paul highlights. The knowledge of his son. And that's an intimate, loving, relational knowledge of God. It says, of the son that derives from the father. So the father and the son have an intimate, loving relationship. You and I also in the knowledge of him is to have that intimate, loving relationship. And as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one, we are to be one with the Son to the Father. And the Spirit of God that lives in us, that resides in us until the day of redemption is helping us because he glorifies the Son and the Son glorifies the Father. So the beauty of this relationship is they get to know one another and then we learn to get to That's our goal. That's what we try to attain to. The content. In the relational knowledge of God. But then he goes on first, he goes on to say mature person, a manhood. And he talks there because the word, the Greek word teleos doesn't mean perfect, it means complete. So it doesn't mean like, it doesn't mean that I'm going to have to live this life in perfection, but I live knowing that God cleanses me. See, in maturity, we grow up, but in the growing up, it's tough. You know, if you're a parent, you see your kids make a lot of mistakes, They make dozens and dozens, but when you're in a marriage, you know, husbands, you make a lot of mistakes too because your wife reminds you of them. Amen? Okay, help me out here. Amen? No, you get slapped in the head later, but help me out right now. (laughs) Y'all can get slapped later when you're at lunch. How you tell your dirty amen over there with the pastor saying that? You know it. But here's the thing, though. The beauty of it is when the wife is helping us, we have to turn around and say, you know what? I do need to grow up in that area. I have to admit it to her again. I have to grow up in this area. And the beauty of it is that growing up doesn't mean I have it all together. Growing up is that God's working on me. With our children, the same thing. We have to be very patient, kind, gentle, bearing with one another. You know, that's maturity, just like in verse 2. That's why in verse 3 it says, make every effort to the unity and the bond of peace. Because we have peace in, with one another when we realize that we're growing up and we're going to make mistakes. We shouldn't hold it against somebody and expect them to be someone they're not. Because that person needs help and direction. Your husband needs help. Wife, you need help. Your children, you need help. People, you need help. Family, we need help. We're here to bear that. So if one makes a mistake, we don't go gossip and slander. That's disunity. We build them up, edify them, and build them up. Ephesians 4.29 says that no unwholesome word, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. No, let no corrupt talking come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up edification as it fits the occasion that it may be great, give grace to those who hear. See, the grace of God is there. So it's important for understand that maturity means a development. 
Lastly, he says, to the measure of the fullness of the stature. Stature can mean age, physical height, like stature, or it could just mean a maturity. And in this case, it's maturity. So how do you know if one is mature? Look at verse 15. It says this. Paul goes on, he says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You know when someone's grown up when they speak the truth in love. See, it takes a mature person to go to someone and tell them in love, hey man, I want to tell you something about what you're doing. Hey man, where's your life going? See, that's, what, that's when someone is mature. See, you know when someone is mature or someone who's walking with Christ when they're not speaking half-truths like the false teachers. You know when someone's grown up in the Lord, when someone has the boldness and the courage to be able to go to someone else. Unity happens when we confront people in love. Unity does not happen when we ignore people and ignore their problems. If you keep pushing their problems aside and sweep them on the rug, it's not going to grow the church. It's just going to build a big old, you're going to have a big old bump in the, in the, in the carpet. You're going to say, hey, what's that? It's got a big pimple over there. It's a huge, it's a big mound right there. Well, that's where we put things when we don't want to deal with things. We just sweep it under the rug. And then what happens is it causes, when you're looking at a carpet, it's supposed to be nice, you have this bump there, and it it messes up your visual. You see the bump more than you see the smoothness of the carpet and the age of the carpet. See, that's when disunity happens. And we have to understand that. So I love where NET mentions or, or the NET, the New English Translation, how it interprets. It's the only version that says practicing truth. Because when you speak in love, you're practicing the truth. Every other version says speaking. But I think, I think that that goes a little bit further in talking about the importance of it. Also in verse 16, it says this. From whom the whole body joined and held together for every joint with which, which is uh, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, in the ancient times when they did stonework, they didn't have mortar. They would cut the stone and fit them in perfect puzzle pieces. They would shave them down, clean them up, and, it, and when they would create this construction and to be able to build this foundation... The stones are smooth with no mortar. They had to be tightly fitted so that they would be strong and they would be unified together. See, God's doing that with us. He's fitting us in so perfectly with grace, with gifting, guiding us with our leaders and helping us to attain a goal of growing in maturity. He's fitting those stones so perfectly so when we do of our parts, we're growing up, oikodome, in love. And when we have love, the world's gonna see it. And when we love one another well, They're going to say, hey, I like what you guys have. I want to come in and get some of that. Because the Bible talks about that in John 13, 34, and 35. They will know you are my disciples when you have love for one another. They will know. The world will know. And that's what our calling is. And we're to grow up. We have to attain this goal to move forward, knit it up and tightly fit it up together. Because right when discipleship happens, evangelism happens. That's why this last part, I want to say, God has commanded us to go. You cannot, you and I as the church, as the corporate unity of the church, the purpose of the church to make disciples, we cannot make disciples unless we're reaching people who are far away from God. If someone didn't call out, if I didn't go to Grace Evangelical Free Church in Stanford, Connecticut on January 9th, 1989, if I didn't go there and get saved and trusted in Christ, 
If someone didn't disciple me, I'd still be there. But the pastor, a big guy bigger than me, two other guys I used to work out bigger than me, came over and said, hey, Bruno, come here. I want to disciple you. I said, what does that mean? And lo and behold, they discipled me. And you know how one of the ways he discipled me? He put me into the weight room. Eric, you feel me? He put me into the weight room, right? And there was one guy, Sal Buccetti, he went to be with the Lord. But dude played football. He played on the New York Giants. He was, I think he, went, he tried out for the Giants to be a punter, but he was like a, he, was like, he looked like he was not even a linebacker, he like a defensive end. And he came in, and, and the guys are much bigger than me, and I'm the smaller guy, and I was bigger than I am now. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, wow, this is crazy. This guy walks in 285, 285, 285. I'm like, Gary, what's wrong with him? Is he, like, he's got something. He goes, no, 285. Guys, put 285 on the bar. Now, this is homemade gym. This isn't even like Gold's gym or anything. This is like the bench is about to break, and we're holding up. He went to incline 285 pounds. He inclined it. He didn't just regular bench for incline. I could barely do 130 right now. He did 285, and he did it 10 times. Dude was massive. I just sat there and go, and I just gulped. I said, dag. I'm never going to, I'm going to just make, just make me feel like a small little man. But what was it? It was that these men were discipling me because they caught my heart. We were working out together and they discipled me. And I'm just coming from the world. So Christianity was a little bit on the feminine side with kindness and being, sharing your feelings and crying out to God. I'm like, this doesn't make, but when these big guys around me, I'm like, yeah, I like Christianity. It was cool. Because they were discipling me. The pastor was big. Everybody, it was just something where God took me in. I fell in love with Jesus. Fell in love with the church. Fell in love with the fact that God wanted to use me. Six months later, he called me to the, to the ministry. But we're called. We're called. So I ask you this. What's your gift? What are you doing with your gift? Are you being a good steward of your gift? Do you know when to use your spiritual gift for the kingdom of God to build the church? Are you just waiting on the pastors and the elders and the staff to do all the work? We're here to equip. We're not here to do all the work. We're here to help you in any way we can. But each one of us have to be a part of the team. You can't just wear the uniform and sit on the bench. Although I'd love to be a water boy for the Yankees. But you don't want to sit there and be there and just say, hey, hit the ball to me. <laughs> And I'll just sit there and get hit all in the face. I want to be ready. So when I'm in my position, getting ready for the hot spot, that hot shot comes at me. I'm going to scoop it up and throw it to first. And then I'm going to say, yeah, I did it. Because I worked hard at it before. I worked on my gift and my talent. I worked hard. Are you doing that? God's calling us to that because you and I can't complain if we're doing nothing about our gifts. You can't come to Pastor Dennis and myself and say, uh, I don't know what to do. Well, where are your gifts? Uh, I don't know. That's not going to work. We want to be here to help you. But you've got to have a willing heart to do so. So God is calling us to that. That's what brings unity in the body. That's what brings unity in the church. That's what brings unity in all these things. So I ask you that question. As the worship team is coming up, I want to encourage you. God is calling you to something. What's your gift? What is he calling you to? What does he want you to do? I want to pray for you before the team comes up. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. If you know Jesus and you're called to a relationship with him, 
then God's called you to himself. He gave you the grace. He gave you the gift. He gave you leaders to guide you. He's called you to grow, and he's commanded you to go. So the question is, what are you doing with your gift? So I want you to, you may not know what your gift is. You might say, I don't know what my gift is, Pastor. That's okay. But I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment before we go back into worship and song. And simply ask a simple prayer. God, I don't, if I don't know my gift, just say, Lord, help me find my gift that you gave me. I want to help build this church. I want to be used of you. Please help me find the gift you've given to me. I've been searching, looking around the entire house of the church, metaphorically speaking. And God, I need to find that gift. I assure you he'll show you your gift. But you got to ask him. And when you find that gift... Say, God, what should I do? I would encourage you to contact Pastor Denny. Contact Pastor Dennis and say, here's my gift. What should I do? And then Pastor Dennis and I will work together to try to get you involved here at the church. We want to see you involved. We want to see you growing for the kingdom of God. Father, help us today. Help us to see the gift that you've given us for your honor and your glory and your praise in Jesus' name.